Picking up where we left off in part one, today we are covering part two of our Texas Killing Fields three-part series. We'll be going in more of a chronological order compared to part one, starting with Brenda K. Jones, the first body found in the 70s, discussing a couple and a missing baby, and ending with a case that may have been solved after being cold for 40 years. Hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I'm your host for today, Annalise. I am here with our co-host. Kelsey. I remembered how dark this episode was just before we hit record, and I'm prepared. And here with our guest today, who wasn't here for part one. Hi, everyone. It's me, Anna. After 50 bajillion years, I was finally let out of my enrichment corner, and I'm back, which I'm also getting enriched, but in a different way. I have currently breached containment. You can't see me, but I am saluting. (laughs) All right. So for Anna, um, I'm going to remind us of our setting. So this is a 25-acre plot of land that's owned by a petrol company by what is Calder Road. And there's a few houses and trailers in some part of it, but overall, this is a very rural area. There's not really much going on here. There's some bodies of water. There's like a dirt dead-end road, and there's really not much going on here besides some trees. And so it's right off Interstate 45 um, beyond that. There isn't much activity, and it has been called the perfect place to dump a body. In our last episode, we discussed um, Edward Bell, who is a man who was convicted of killing another man after flashing some women. He was on Texas's Most Wanted for a while, and he, in prison, started writing letters and confessed to killing 11 girls. He gave descriptions and names for some, but not all. And a majority of these girls were linked to or directly named as girls who had shown up in the Texas killing fields. I love when they say like, oh, this guy is America's most wanted, Texas is most wanted, because like, the reality is, no one wants you, sir. So... We're going to talk today a little bit more in chronological order. A lot of the um, 11 were centered around the similar time in the 70s. So we have a couple of victims that we are going to discuss who are not part of the 11 today. And I'll kind of shout out where they're kind of in the order, which is awful to say that there is enough to be in order in this place. But that is kind of how we're going to run through it today. Brenda K. Jones, 14, was the first girl found in the killing fields on July 2nd, 1971. She had been walking to her aunt's house on July 1st in Galveston, Texas. When she didn't arrive, her aunt reported her missing. Her body was found in Galveston Bay near Interstate 45. She was nude, had been tied up, and died of strangulation, according to one of the sources. There is some discrepancies um, between some of them, like Wiki, which I know is not a reliable source, but might as well call it out, um, stated that she had a sock lodged in her mouth and had died from a head wound. Hmm. Hmm. One of her family members, 
Phyllis Southern, believes that she may have been killed by Edward Bell, the focus of our first episode, but it's not widely believed. Beyond that, I have no further details. Hmm. And for Anna, who isn't here, we kind of had a discussion about the 11, what uh, ones we kind of thought could maybe be attributed to Bell, or at least one person. And I believe a lot of the mm -hmm. patterns there were found in a state of undress, although most of those I think were shot versus strangled. So definitely some similar similarities, but also unfortunately, found and nude is not very unique when it comes to killers because people are fucked up. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm. kind of yucky. It is. So in between Brenda and the next vic um, victim, Allison Craven, or Craven, I'm not positive how to say her name, but I've been saying, we could say Craven. Um, there were many of the 11 who went to heaven with Colette being the first one found in November 1971. So in the timeline of this, Allison is actually the eighth body found. Oh, jeez. I think I might have said this last episode, but they really just need to do annual sweeps. Fucking exit field. On November 9th, 1971, Allison's mother had stepped out to run errands and left her 12-year-old daughter at their Houston apartment. When she came back, Allison was oh, gone. Oh no! Oh my God! That's, 12, that's like no. a very normal age for your kid for you to leave your kid home alone for like an hour. They need that like sense of independence. It's their time for enrichment to do whatever they want for an hour. And that's creepy too, because like whoever took her probably knew or was watching and knew she was alone. <sighs> that's. Ugh. Yuck! Leave little girls alone. And women. Just leave women, just leave females alone. Leave them alone. Two hands and some teeth, so hand bones, really, and some teeth, would be found three months later in the field, and that would be later identified as Allison's. Ooh. But the rest of her wasn't found until February 25th, 1972. She was found near Interstate 45 in Perland, Texas. She was 12 miles away from home. Oh. And I have no further evidence on her That's case. That's gotta be haunting. Or details. It wasn't even far. So, hands and teeth were found in one location and the breast was in another? That's... Hmm. That speaks to somebody who probably has a record and or at least is somewhat aware of some forensic of identification, the hands looking for fingerprints, the teeth for dental records, just the teeth, not the jawbone or anything. So they pulled her teeth out for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, dude. How nice. Thank you. For that. But that also says to me, like, something about that doesn't seem very random. To me because if, sure, if you're like a very paranoid serial killer, maybe you would do that. But that's a lot of effort. That sounds more like, oh, if this person is identified, I'm going to be named. Yeah. And couple, that coupled with 
waiting until like the one hour, two hours where the mom was out for the day, which kind of points to them watching, kind of says something I feel like about a friend. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of when you're saying being tied back and recognized, it makes me think of, it makes me think of the Lady of the Dunes and how she had some tea taken out and her hands were like messed with like things that would identify her and that she went unidentified for so long. And then it really seems like her husband was the one who had done it now that we know who it is Mm. or who she is. It's crazy just like how little it takes sometimes for someone to become unidentified, just missing a couple key and fingerprints and they're gone. And even then, like, if you think about it, the average person's fingerprint is not in a system. So in between Allison and the 10th victim, um, who was found, Suzanne Bowers, was Kimberly Pickford, who we, or Pitchford, who we covered in the eleven. So keep in mind that there were nine victims found between July 1971 and January 1973. Was there like a concerted body recovery effort at this time? Or was it just people were walking through this, these woods and just kept stumbling onto body parts? What is the woods? A lot of them were people just stumbling on a body part. Some of them were the police that found one, and then within the same area, they'd find another or two. Um, but again, this is a real. This is twenty-five acres of really like forested with ponds. There's like a lot of nature where you could be obscured, and people don't really go through it that much. Clearly enough, finding all these bodies a year and a half. I mean, yeah. But still, no one's witnessing anything, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like, you'll find things, but seeing the deed essentially be committed or dumping the body, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Because that's a lot of land, question mark. I'm trying to have a visual here. mentally. Yeah, that's a, that's a big amount of land. So they're trying. Wait, hang on. How much? Looks like how many? Uh, 25 acre. 0.3 0.3 square mile. Oh, that's not actually, that can't be. Maybe it is. That wasn't as helpful of a metric as I thought. Oh, okay, so 40 acres is a quarter mile by a quarter mile. With that, well. But it almost speaks to, like, maybe it speaks more, le- or sorry, less about people just being very lucky and stumbling on the few bodies that are in here and speaks more about how many bodies there could be here that you just statistically are going to come across one. Hmm. So between Kimberly and Suzanne, there was actually six years. So we are jumping to 1979. I have to wonder if after nine remains were discovered in the same area in a year and a half, if people cumulatively were like, hey, maybe we should quit hanging out there for a little bit. And then after six years, people were like, well, I'm sure they found all the bodies. Just was one weirdo or whatever. And then went back and somebody found a body and they're like, ah, shit. Suzanne Bowers, the 10th found, was also 12 years old. She was a seventh grader at the time. Suzanne was taken in the three minutes that she was alone walking back from her grandmother's house at 10.45 a.m. to grab a swimsuit so she could go to the beach. 
the fact that so many of them are in early to mid teens, but also like not all of the like filling methods match. It's weird that the age range and the gender of most of the victims, of course we haven't covered them all yet, but the 11 and the ones we've covered so far here, it's weird that they're all so close in age. Like if it was just like a mm-hmm. area that more multiple people just saw and thought, yeah, that's a great place to dump a body. No one would ever find it. I feel like you would see more of a diversity in victim type. It's, it's weird to me that there are like how many creeps are there in this one area that know about this, like one, like forest. That's like weird to me. I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know what that is, but it's weird. Is there like a pedophiles and serial killers Reddit post? Like, what is this? Like, how did you, why are the only the people who are really disgusting weirdos and like little girls dumping bodies here? Weird to me. Yuck. It's a little, yuck. Suzanne wouldn't be found until two years later on March 25th, 1979. She was in Altaloma, Texas, a little over 18 miles from her home. She had multiple gunshot wounds to her skull, but it is uncertain whether or not these were the killing wounds. There was nothing reported around the skeletal, or there was nothing found at the scene around the skeletal remains that could give any clues. So her case is also unsolved. So with the, again, with the, the distance is very short. So clearly whoever is doing this is, I, well, not clearly, I don't fucking know. But I would guess that the, whoever is doing this is not keeping them for any significant length of, length of time. It kind of goes to that, like, the first 24 hours of a kidnapping are the most crucial because after that, the, the survival dip dramatically. It sounds like the person doing this, kidnapping them, do whatever nasty, disgusting thing they get off on for this, and then is dumping them. And it sounds like, I mean, there are a lot of reasons there couldn't be anything at a crime scene. Sometimes there just isn't anything at the crime scene like we saw with Jane Marie, but like it sounds more like he's killing them somewhere else or in a car and then dumping their bodies, which makes sense because like it did, like to, to bring somebody out into the woods, you can only bring them in the car so far. I assume kidnapped by car. That makes no sense. And then you have, there's a little bit of risk involved in trying to control somebody in thick woods. Yeah. Wait a minute, hang on. It feels like a lot of this is... Because is we, we've been saying, like, no one is seeing anything. No one is witnessing any body dumps, but there's clearly a lot of body dumps, and there's clearly a good bit of activity in this forest. So are, are they killing these girls and then waiting until night to dump them, or do they know of some road nobody knows about? Are you... How are you getting away with this? Again, it is a huge bit of land, so they can do yes, but like, anything that's kind of a huge in this risk. Especially after like multiple bodies have been found. Clearly, there's people walking around in these woods. 
Mm, that's true. I think mostly when people come to these woods, they're hunting or fishing. So it's not like it's like consistent, a lot of foot traffic. And some of them um, were literally in Anna in the last one, one of them, a person's dog was running in the round in the woods, grabbed a oh, hand what about that? and brought it back home to its not owner. Baby! No! I say baby. I, I don't know how old this So some of this is like people myself if he just came back with a hand phone oh my god fido what you find oh shit a hand for a lot of these it's like people are fishing and they come across it people are with an animal and the animal smells it out it's not like it's a lot of different ways they're being found it's not like every time someone's just walking in the woods something is found i wonder if there's any pattern between when popular seasons for the area are and when these killings are Hmm. I did see someone. Okay. So the Netflix documentary on this that I'll talk about for a little bit more in part three, because they really cover um, a couple of cases that's more in um, the 80s. And we're kind of in the 70s right now. Um, this one guy was saying that he like went out into the killing field. He shot his gun three times. And there was like no reaction from anywhere. And so, yeah, it seems like this is a kind of like a hunting area where people are like, oh, the guns are shooting off. That's not that weird. Or maybe they have neighbors who practice shooting in the area. So they're like, a gun noise is not I that mean, weird. I don't want to be uh, reductive, but it is Texas. But also, like, I've heard shot, like, even where She's we live, where hunting's me. not very common. I've heard, like, very, very distant shots. And I feel like I'm, oh. sounds like hunting. Yeah, I can I could see that. But also, like, what reaction were you expecting? Like, you expecting people to come out and start shouting? Like, that's such a wild thing to just do. But it really does. If you're thinking about it, if someone hears a gunshot, they're not really gonna react. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely with the ones who uh, have gunshot wounds. Do, maybe they are bringing them out to the woods to kill them. I don't know. It feels like for some of these, it was definitely a they came to the area and then dumped. Mm -hmm. I really hate saying that, but that's really the best way to describe it. But that's what gets me about it again, because it's like, again, it seems to be a very similar victim type, but also the modus operandi seem to diverge enough that it makes me question if it's the same person. So it's weird. Why are all you creeps dumping bodies? It is weird. It could also be not only, I mean, these methods, some of them are different. Some of them are strangulation. Some are shooting. So it could be different people. It could be copycats. It could be, there's a lot of things that could be happening here. But the case that I'm going to get into now, it's a bit of a shift from what we've been talking about. It's a bit of a shift in, I hate to say it's the style as well as who the victims are. Um, and we do have more details on this case. Okay. Hmm. So Tina Gail Klaus, 17, and Harold Dean Klaus Jr., who went by Dean, 20, were the 13th and 14th bodies found in the killing fields. The two had met and fell in love in 1979. Tina's brother had been dating Dean's sister, so naturally their paths crossed. 
Tina was 15 at the time, and by June 25th of that year, the two had been married, and a year later, on January 24th, they had their daughter, Holly Marie Klaus. Hang on. Got married in June, had their baby in January. I hear shotgun weddings in the works. Good for them. Good for them. I don't want to say good for them because, like, yeah, I'm happy for them, but also I know how this ends. I don't want to get attached. Good for them, tentatively. Tentatively. They're very young at this time. They're 15 and 18 Ooh, at this time. Uh, it was the 70s. Well, it was the 70s. It was the 70s. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. In 1980, the family packed up and moved from um, Volusia County, Florida, to Louisville, Texas, so Harold could work at D.R. Horton as a carpenter. At the time, there was a big construction boom in the area, so it made sense to get where the opportunities were. Um, the couples would the couple would send letters back home until October of that year, so October of 1980, when their families would receive the last I think one. I have heard of this case. It sounds familiar. There, it's been in the news recently, um, and an ABC 2020 was recently um, oh, released on it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reserve what I have okay. my thoughts so until say. you finish, because I may be taking. On January 12th, 1981, a dog came upon the couple's remains in the woods 250 miles away from their home near Green's Bayou. The dog had taken an arm back home to his owner, which prompted a search of the woods. And you, before we get any further, you imagine, I'm imagining, I don't know what kind of dog this is, but imagining like a six, seven-year-old beagle type dog, you're like, Go on, go on, Fido. Go run in the woods. Have a good time. It's Texas. This is seventies. I don't need to attend to you at all. And then the dog has a great time gallivanting in the woods. And then he comes back to the door, does that little like dog scratch thing at the door, and like, ah, there's my beloved dog Fido. I'm so happy to see him. It's been a couple of hours. And then he opens the door, and he has a handbook. There's some bone in the human body, I feel like are not immediately identifiable. The hand is up there. It's pretty obvious that it's a human being's hand. And you just have to be like, Fido, what have you done? <laughs> I like you say, Fido, what have you done? And like mentally, my old brain is like, oh, it's like the dog bringing it home. But it also kind of says like, Fido, why did you kill this person? Fido, how could you? <laughs> you are my trusted beagle. <laughs> You are my little guy. My, how does that audio go? My sweet cheese, my soldier boy. That whole audio. Boy. You know what I mean. He's my, my, my hometown boy. My sweet cheese. How could you fight him? I feel like a lot like of questions run through your mind if your dog brings a dead human body part to your door. One of them has got so. to be, did my dog kill this person? Before you, like, rationality takes hold and you realize, no, that's old. There's no way. Did my dog do that? <laughs> Just let your dog out for hours. He's been on a tent. Who knows what Fido's up He brought you a, a souvenir. Oh. I don't, I think it's, can we just take a moment to think of it from Fido's perspective? He thought he found a really cool thing and was like, do you know who would love this? My owner. Because they have human hands. They would love this human hand. 
Mom, Dad, look what I found! So proud to show his thing, and it was such a horrifying thing. (laughs) Mommy, why are you screaming? I bet you were present. I brought home the bacon. Literally, we're gonna eat tonight. All right, (laughs) reeling it back, reeling it back. We have to be serious. This is (laughs) we have to be normal. Okay. So the police searched the woods, and what they found was unsettling, to say the least. They found Dean tied up, gagged, and beaten to death, while Tina had been strangled. Left with their bodies was a bloody towel. They had been dead for at least a week. The couple were not identified at the time. It was speculated that Tina may have been attacked first and that Dean had tried to protect her. Some on the county forensic anthropology team had dubbed them Romeo and Juliet, but they were more widely known as the Harris County Does. Okay, I have heard of this one. Oh my god, though. That means that when the hand... I was imagining like a dirt-covered hand, like kind of desiccated and withered. But no, that that would have been still pretty... I'm also glad we had that little moment of levity before Annalise brought us down to that level oh my god because that's not even just the tying up and her being strangled maybe i'm reading into it but says to me that he may obviously he's the stronger of the two so there's a little bit of incapacitating him to avoid the threat but also it did they make him watch them kill her because why would you just tie him up why wouldn't you just like kill him You know what I'm saying? Dean's family didn't know about any of this, obviously, since they were not identified. Instead, the letters they had been receiving just stopped. And then, a few months later, they received a call from someone in Los Angeles. Yes, I have heard of this one. It's so weird. The lady had the couple's car, a 1978 Burgundy AMC Concorde, and wanted $1,000 in return for it. When the family went to get the car, a woman named Sister Susan was there along with several others. She claimed the couple had joined a religious group and were cutting off contact. This was already like months after they had died. Sister Susan That's... isn't lying against the word of God. Hmm. Yeah, I'll get into, I'll get to Sister Susan in a minute, but can we just <laughs> that because you like they're a young couple settling in the area. They have a baby. At first, I'm sure you were like, "Oh, they're busy. They're so busy. They're mm-hmm. living their young people lives. They're trying to establish roots in the new community. You know, they don't have time to be writing us letters all the time. Maybe it hurt a little bit as the months ticked by. But you know, you're like, "Oh, they're fine. Why would you assume they're not fine?" And then you get a call from a lady like, "Hey, I have your kid's car." She had to have some kind of identifying information to be like, oh, it's this person's car. Obviously, had their cars. And she's calling from fucking Los Angeles. You're like, why why do you have my child's car in Los Angeles? They're in Texas with their wife and their child. Dean had a past affiliation with the Jesus People Movement when he was 17. The people in this movement were sometimes referred to as Jesus Freaks. Hmm. So this wasn't in, 
entirely implausible, but Donna Casanata, Dean's mother, reported them missing anyways. It was like, okay, I'm not going to believe that this is what's happening right now. I'm going to report them missing. Also, he was 17. We all get into weird crowds at 17. However, due to Dean's past affiliation, the police believed that the couple had joined the cult and didn't investigate any further. I mean, I get it. But also, Yuck. you couldn't have made a couple phone calls, just made sure? Just checked it? Couldn't have done it? For so long, this is all that was done and all that we had. It would take 40 years until Identifiers International used a genetic genealogy to identify the unidentified bodies and for Donna to get some kind of answer. So now we ask, where's the baby? Where's Holly? Because she wasn't found with her parents. And that's so extra fucked because that means whoever took them probably had her with them did whatever they did parents unless they like like when would you have dropped her off you know so with her parents assumed to be in a cult and with no indication that the harris county does had a child she was not searched for for 40 years the question of where she was wasn't answered until last year so in 2022, she was found alive in Oklahoma, and she is now 43. Oh my God. Can you imagine somebody calling you, emailing you? No one's coming to the door. It's 2022 and being like, hey, uh, this is going to sound crazy, but your parents, your real parents are dead, and you know, you were kidnapped, and that's how you got where you are now. You want to chat about it? So, Holly was dropped off at an Arizona church by two women from a nomadic religious group in November 1980. When did her parents go? Uh, where were, when were they killed? Holly was later adopted by the pastor and he had come to the door to receive the baby and had met the two women and apparently met Tina, Holly's oh. mother. Hmm. Okay, okay. But when we're figuring this all out, I just want to point out, when we're figuring this all out, it was 40 years later. So there is a little bit, I can't even remember three days ago with uh, that level of clarity about someone I met for a total of 10 minutes. Just write it up. Hmm. According to information we have now, Dean and Tina had rejoined Jesus people. And as part of joining, many were encouraged to give up their children or leave them in family in order to travel and spread God's word. Many, including the family, believed that the couple were killed for trying to leave the cult. Although members who are still part of the group from that time that Tina and Dean were part of it, claim that it's not likely. And there are people who remembered them in the cult at the time. The group says that they are peaceful, that this is not something that would have happened. On the one hand, if it's multiple people today, if, are these like ex-members or still members? Current okay. members. Hmm. 
that could be true. It could be 100% true. It could also be a story everybody was coached in, in case anybody asked any questions about the young couple that was found dead in the Texas killing fields. So it's hard to, because, like, on the one hand, it's a trust but verify kind of thing, but on the other hand, you cannot verify it. It's just, like, their word. So as of today, the case of Holly's parents' death is still unsolved. Um, the p- family believes and Holly believes that um, they were killed as a result of the cult members. I do want to give a little expert um, about the family and her. When it was found out, they had a the pastor was very uh, supportive. Her you know, man who raised her, essentially her father. Um, at one point, they went down to Florida to try and get her birth certificate, but her birth certificate was sealed. So they couldn't get information about her because he had legally adopted her. Apparently from Tina, there was a signature sign off. And so everything was sealed as a closed adoption. So, hmm. Wait, so Florida has like a record of a sign and uh, notarized. Those things have to be notarized. So there had to have been at least one other person. Like they have this record somewhere? They ha- they have that it was a sealed birth certificate. I'm not sure about any other records that they have. The ABC 2020, they like talk about this a bit, but I'm not sure about the full logistics and I haven't seen a lot of articles about it yet. Mm. But from my understanding, it was like a legal adoption of her. That's why she's still named Holly because got the name. She had it before. She still had it. She was a baby. She wouldn't have remembered yeah. her name. Yeah. So he literally got it from them. And so, but I I do want to say that she was able to connect with her family over Zoom and then was actually able to go and meet them. Her grandmother, um, Dean's mother, um, so they're both very religious, both Holly and her grandmother. And so that she used to call, she called her um, grandmother a praying warrior and that she had, you know, prayed to God and this has happened and she got to meet her grandmother a couple of months before her grandmother passed. Hmm. Wow. That is the kind of thing that like, if you like, and if you're like looking up all this information and investigating, if you find this moment, you find her alive, like, I feel like for me, there's a certain question, like, if you see this person who's living their life, they're happy, do you even think? Because her life has to have been completely upside down. But also, like, you would want to know because that's your life. But also, like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. So wait, that, her adoption, a legal adoption, took place in law, in where? So it took place in Arizona. So okay. she was handed over there. But I guess her birth records were then sealed at the time. So some kind of administrative thing had to happen in the background because when they went to go, no, that happens sometimes. Like, okay, get information about her. They that couldn't get it. Some states have like adopt something happens during an adoption that like seals the original records so that like the original family can remain yeah. anonymous. So it must have happened in Arizona, and they have systems so the states can talk to one another. So the Arizona yeah. must have contacted Florida and been like, "Hey, she's been adopted. You know, do what you have to do." And then they sealed the records. But okay. So that happened in Arizona in 1980, you were saying? So November 1980 is when she was found, or when she was dropped off. and when were the parents found? Yeah, November 1980. The parents were found 
January 12th, 1981. Oh my God. So she gave away her child two months before they dis- before they were. Okay. Okay. Sorry. They said that the body had likely been there for a month. I, I think they said. God, I'm looking. Oh yeah. For at Thank least you. a week. Yeah. So okay. not that long. So, okay. So a couple of things, maybe she gave away her child under duress, and then they tried mm-hmm. to get her to do something, get them to do something else, and they were or brought all the way back to Texas to kill. That's a long way to bring someone if they immediately were like, I don't want to give away my child. And, all. and I feel like the, the priest probably would have picked up on that to sit through long enough to go through all of the paperwork of adoption, meet this kid, decide to adopt the kid. You would never pick up. I mean, yeah, the mom's probably going to have some complicated emotions well essentially what happened is that tina forfeited her rights and then it wasn't a full processed adoption i think he said for like a month he was like waiting to see if there was going to be like tina would come back regretting it yeah so he kind of like left open for a little while um just to see if if tina would come back and she didn't so there was yeah it's a little fuzzy and honestly this is being told by a pastor of what happened 40 years ago so okay no no that makes sense though but yeah okay so maybe like she and dean regretted it and a couple months later we're like no like i can't we have to go get we have to leave we have to go get her and then they were killed as the result of that they're just like what Hmm. it's weird it's so it sounds like though that she at least semi-willingly gave away their child and then something happened within like a month and a half two months and then they were both killed in texas okay okay i do want to say that holly i haven't read the book but holly herself baby holly did write a book called finding baby holly about all of this that's gotta be all kinds of issues. Like you're just be like she's like forties now. Somebody like hey, forty three, yeah. Uh I know you were adopted and you've probably come to terms with that as like an adult, but also not only were you adopted, but your parents were actually brutally murdered and may or may not have been given away under duress and no one even knew you existed or were missing for many, many, many years. Anyway. Go back to your life. That is crazy to find out so late. So anyone who is interested about hearing from Holly herself, from the pastor and from the family, I would recommend watching the ABC 2020 on this case. Um, I watched it after I kind of wrote this section and kind of inserted pieces that I heard from it, but they do a little more of a comprehensive look mm. at their, the pastor and Holly's side of what I happened. do want to say it, like, I don't think anyone was thinking it, but for the record, I don't think the pastor did anything wrong here or like was involved. I think he no. was just like found a child, like a woman came and abandoned a child. That happens at churches. That's not like crazy. And then he fell in love yeah. with this little girl. And then probably there were a couple of months where he was like, no, can't get attached because she, the mom might come back. You know, I can't get attached here. And then after a couple of months, unbeknownst to him, the parents have died horribly. And, you know, now they, you know, in some way they've 
all these events, as horrible as they are, brought a little family together. And it's so nice that, once again, other events came together just so, so that she could meet her grandmother before she passed. Because this could have gone forever. She could have gone her entire life without ever knowing that. And it was really sweet to see her, like, aunts and uncles being like, oh, you look just like Tina. You have, like, this of Dean. Like, she got to know, you know, that side of her family. She has a whole family that she didn't know about. I feel... I feel that is pretty nice. That wanted her and love her, even though they haven't seen her I feel in 40 that, years. I feel really bad for Holly, who had a life story, yeah. but also, like, I think I feel... And, of course, for Dean and... Tina, who literally had a life stolen, but also almost worse for the family who at first didn't even know anything wrong for years. Just didn't know what had happened. And then just like to hope that your children are in a cult somewhere doing something. And that's hoping they're safe. So we're going to move on from this case to discuss a few more but that is kind of, i think the bright spot of this episode is that baby holly was alive and found and got to reunite with her family i definitely heard this case i think so i heard of it during on. the update and it i didn't realize it was part of this whole connected text i could see what you were saying i remember you were talking about researching this case and you were like i am i am in the rabbit hole right now and i like i get it now mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> You are going deep. You're so brave for that. So you're so brave. The fifteenth victim found was Michelle Garvey. Michelle Garvey was fifteen when she disappeared on June 1982 from her home in New London, Connecticut. Oh my lord! I was about to say back to the status quo, but Connecticut. As per usual, the police had labeled oh. her a runaway. I believe I ranted about that last episode, so I was ranting. But you know my feelings about that. I would punch several of Connecticut's finest fucking face, and that's all I would say on that matter. Michelle would not be found and identified until 2014 when her mains were positively identified thanks to DNA testing after the hair. County and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reached out to Connecticut police. So essentially, they had found this body before. It was unidentified for a really long time. And then 2014, they finally connected it. According to one article, an internet sleuth, Polly Penwell, actually made the connection. She was going through the National Missing and Unidentified Person Systems and pulled up both lists to try and find matches. And so she would look at kind of the composites and compare them to real life pictures and just scroll to see if she could make any kind of connection that would help. And narrowing down the results, she came across Michelle. And once she put the real photo next to the composite, she was certain. She immediately emailed Harris County Police. The police never stated that Polly Penwell was behind the discovery. The only information we have is that they requested DNA. Yeah, because that's a fucking embarrassment on their side. That's an embarrassment. Not, not to diss Penny. She is going for it. But the fact that nobody is doing that, like, this is one of the places where I think AI would have 
would be so helpful of like just going because the the magnitude of these databases the fact that she managed to find a composite that matched a person in the thousands of composites and thousands of missing incredible but like ai could be like here you go may not be super accurate but it mm-hmm. is so much it's a starting place somebody get on that somebody get on off point there probably is something about that. They're just maybe working on it. I know there's something... It's not the same thing, but I know that there is technically sort of AI where it's like you're trying to look for a piece of art, for example, or an image, and you're like, hey, uh, where's the original source for that? And you can put like the link of the image or upload the file onto this website, and it'll be like, here are the closest sources that... Here are the sources that this mm-hmm. image is from. So it's like, it's kind of getting there. Don't know about missing people. I will assume that they're doing something about it. I wish people actually use AI for useful things instead of trying to profit and steal money from artists. Not late space tablets, that's a totally maybe. different story. Yeah, there's plenty of examples of facial recognition Ooh. AI. Like the technology is here. It just needs to be combined by. So according to the article I read, Polly has an email exchange with Sharon Derrick, a Harris County forensic anthropologist, which like confirms that she did do this. So either way, the police have never publicly stated that she held, but she has her story. So this, prior to the ID of Michelle, she was one of the many nameless victims in the Texas killing fields. Her body had been found on June 1st, 1982. She went missing from her home in June 1982 from New London, Connecticut. Like, literally, it was found. Oh, you know what? I was going to say, wait a minute. This literally says she was found the same day. So I don't know. be right. I guess maybe it could. I will say a lot of these sources are not super exact. Okay, so let's say let's be let's be uh, generous and say within the same month. It could also be that she disappeared around June, and that could have been the day before June first, and so this was like a day later or okay. so. Either way, she was found very quickly. She after. somehow made it from Connecticut to Texas, either of her own will or duress. I really don't have evidence to say one way or the other, although it sounds like, I don't know, we don't really have information about this girl. Like, I don't want to say she was a runaway because I don't know that because I don't investigate these things. That's not my Mm. job, Connecticut police. But like, you know, somehow she made it from Connecticut to Texas and then very quickly was killed, which I think says to me kidnapping more likely, but then why would you kidnap someone all the way in Connecticut and bring them all the way down to Texas just to kill them? That's weird. I will say, okay, but I will say that there are multiple cases of people who are highway killers. True. Who will pick up Mm. someone in one place and then drive for a long distance and dump them in another place and then keep going. This is along Interstate 45. And so there is kind of like a busier road that they could have just driven down and dumped in the spot. There is actually a, it looks like a direct I-81 all the way down from Connecticut to Texas. So it, that, you know, it's, 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 you know, you can pick someone up along the highway in Connecticut and definitely get to Texas and then transfer to the 845. 
very doable, I would say. So Michelle had been sexually assaulted, strangled to death, and then her body was brought to the fields. She was found with some clothes on, including her brown shirt, which featured an embroidery of a horse on the pocket, um, which police had hoped someone would recognize. Michelle had been buried, so actually like dug into the ground buried, next to Tina and Dean Klaus, who were also unidentified at the time. Oh my God. So she was found in the same area. Like as right them. next to? They say next to, I would just venture to say that it is feet away. Within like a was. very small radius. Wait a yeah. Oh my God. Uh, okay. So wait, they were that found is... in January hmm. of what year? 81? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So they, okay. And this is June of 82, correct? So... Yeah, so they found them, like, right in the area that Tina and Dean were found. Okay. So, they weren't, just to be clear, they were not there. They had already been found in, no. At the same time, no. And then a few months later, somebody buried and disposed of the remains of this girl, of Michelle, here. Like, over a year later. Like a... Point three by point three of a square mile square. Out of all the other places, you could have dumped somebody. A coincidence? Maybe. Stranger things have happened. I feel like it throws a bit of a wrench in the Tina and Dean thing. Because if the cult did kill them, why would they kill Michelle? It's weird. It, it can also be just completely unrelated. It's like, unrelated. And That's just what I'm saying. It's like to it's to say. I mean, honestly, the amount of body it that's is. apparently in this 25 acres could be a total coincidence. Yeah. So, sadly, I have no further information on Michelle's case due to the amount of time that she was left unidentified. And by the fact that she traveled such a distance, it's likely that we're not really going to get an answer. That's so sad, especially hearing the detail about an embroidered horse shirt. I feel like that's a huge thing, question mark? Well, that's enough to identify her, but it doesn't really like... There were probably no security cameras where she was at the time. It sounds like we don't even really have information about her abduction. Oh, for sure. Jeez. That's so sad. Well, all of these are sad, but I'm like, really sad is how little details we have on so many of these. Honestly, like, literally, there's only like, oh, found this day, maybe. Judging by this case, clearly not all of those were well kept records. State Mm. of the body. That's about it. Maybe an identification. After 20 odd years, 40 odd years. God. So I'm going to be moving on to our final case for part two. um, And we'll be discussing the 16th victim found. Suzanne Lead Aids, 19, was leaving her job as a cocktail waitress at Charlie's Bar in um, Nassau Bay around 4.30 p.m. August 30th, 1983. 
She was last seen with a white man in a cowboy hat. Oh, this is Texas! It's mm-hmm. only... That's the least helpful description I've ever heard! A white man with a cowboy hat? In Texas? What the fuck? That's nothing! That's nothing! You might as well tell me she was talking to generic white man number six. Like, that's so unhelpful. I feel like I'm dissing some witness who, like, was trying to be helpful. I'm sure they didn't realize the significance at the time, but, like, what? Brown hair, black hair, blonde hair, nothing? Sorry. Go on. It was only one day later when her body was found by a driver along the intersection of NASA Road 1 and Elam Street. She was naked, covered with bruises on her face and back. She had been sexually assaulted and had been strangled with a bodysuit that she had been wearing. Okay, so a little bit older oh. than some of the other victims but kind very pretty similar mo in terms of sexual assault state of undress and being found there's definitely we're seeing a lot of gunshot wounds and strangulation but also those are like i said earlier pretty common methods of murder it's not really very identifiable killer and to be honest it sounds like they just threw her out of the car, like just pushed her out of the car and kept driving. Like, I question if she was, she was strangled to death. We're sure she didn't like die of her injuries, like after she got put in the car. Yeah. So they abducted her or maybe got her into a car willingly, beat the shit out of her, sexually assaulted her, strangled her, and then just pushed her didn't even try to hide it sounds like just pushed her out of the car and then drove away the level of audacity to be like i won't get caught for this i won't get punished for this no one will see this gone and also they were kind of right because we don't know who the fuck did this did we annalise go on tell me we don't know who did this because white man in a cowboy hat is so specific surely we found this man sorry go on so uh, another detail is her car was found in a lot nearby, so it had been moved. That's weird. Hmm. Like he took their, her keys and just kind of moved her car a little bit. What does that even do? Why not just? It also makes me question whether or not he used her oh. car when dumping the body, because oh. it was found nearby. Oh, so like he got her into her car through some did all of that, pushed her out of the vehicle. I hate that part. I really hate that part. Like just shoved her out of the car, like throwing a like a soda cup out of the window before you get to the highway. Not that I do it. Like trash. Like that's oh that gets me. Then drove probably to where his car was and then just got in his car and drove away like he did nothing. Ugh. After her death her mother received calls from a man calling himself Bill, claiming he had photos of Susan. Okay. This would have been back in the time where people had like a dress book mm-hmm. with phone numbers in it. So it's possible mm-hmm. he just like stole her address book. But what kind of deranged motherfucker 
knows that shit? That's so... I mean, you can also look her up in the yellow pages, so, like... But that means, like... It could be someone prank calling. Either way. Either way, that's disgusting. It's fine. I feel like Mm -hmm. the charge for pranking people like this should be... I don't want to say a felony, because I feel like that maybe brings felony down, but, like, you should do some fucking time for that bullshit. That is... You are not fit to be around other people if you do that. So, bringing us back. For around 40 years, this case went unsolved. For a while in 2018, police had suspected serial killer Anthony Shore, also known as the tourniquet killer. When Susan had been strangled with the bodysuit, it had been used as a tourniquet, which matched Shore's M.O. Shore's death sentence had actually been postponed briefly in order to get his DNA to compare it to the DNA found on Susan. I was going to say, though, do you really need to say his execution? You can get the DNA and kill him, I'm just saying. However, the DNA did positively match Arthur Raymond Davis Jr., a 35-year-old Vietnam War veteran and Oh my god, we actually have a solve for this one. They were able to match this thanks to the cooperation of his son. This man matches the description and sketch of the cowboy hat-wearing man that she had been last seen with. And almost like karma, Davis had been killed only four months later, four months after killing Susan, in a car crash a mile away from where he had killed her. That was her. She was standing. She was like her ghost. In the road and caused him <laughs> to get bitch. in the car accident. Good. Die. I hope, I hope, it took a while. I hope you laid there for a little bit. On the side of the road. Like, oh, you there. Yeah. To wrap us up, to bring us to the total, this is a total of 16 bodies found in the same field between 1971 and 1983. Yeah, they need to just do sweeps on this fucking... At that point, you've got to just sweep the whole... Like, it's a massive undertaking, I know, but the amount of bodies that have just stumbled upon. I mean, if you put enough people in there, uh, not bodies, um, you can scope out the area well enough. But I also go... I look at the police and I go, a cab. In the next episode, (laughs) in part three, we will discuss the... We'll be focusing on four victims who are actually the center of the Netflix documentary Crime Scene Texas Killing Fields. And then other victims that were found all the way up till 2016. Damn, we talked about this last episode. I forgot, but like... Yeah, you guys need to be doing sweets. I will say... I will say, this is a little bit of a spoiler for next time, but I'm just going to say it. Um, the father of one of the vic- one of the four found um, later on in the 80s, he actually has this group that he calls Equisearch. They literally ride their horses around, like, areas of forest and just sweep the area to see if they find anything. This is, I feel, where, like, that, like, frontier cowboy village vigilante justice, like, it fits <laughs> This is what cowboys are all it's about. Like, they find somebody yeah, jumping a really, body or doing um, anything sketchy, Red, like Red I'm imagining a full like paddle, like rope, 
drag to the police station situation. And you know what? They would not be wrong for that. I'm just, I'm just gonna say it. We support. I would support it under those circumstances. There was a case like that before. It's not really a case. Some guy tried to like rob a store and this guy who is essentially a cowboy was like, I literally just came in here to get some stuff. And he called the police and he's like, I lassoed this guy and I tied him to a tree. Can you come pick him up? And they were like, you what? No. Yeah, he literally like lassoed them because I think he, he was trying to steal a bike. And this guy's like, well, I'm not having any of that. Like I can, I can hold him back. So he literally lassoes him and ties this guy to a tree and he's calling the police like hey can you um so i tied up a guy to a tree can you come and get him and they're like you lasso you what and he's like yeah um can you just come get him he was trying to like steal stuff i just literally came in to get stuff for myself say, and my was horse. the on horseback when um, this occurred very... oh my god yes <laughs> i oh, love well, this guy course. i love it of course i think this guy was like oh i'm speeding off on my bike and he's like uh-uh not on my watch. I love cow. I love cowboys. Oh and the concept of him. cowboys so much. Granted, I'm biased because my dad. My dad also loves cowboys because he had a phase where he watched a bunch of cowboy movies. Knowing your so dad, that's besides the point. We are getting off. Cowboys. I love cowboys except for Arthur. Fuck that cowboy. <laughs> he loves cowboys. Also, though, just with True. a final thing. Okay. Not Bill. He's not cowboy Bill. Interesting. Not Bill. Also, maybe he just didn't use. If He's he did do it, maybe he just didn't Ooh. use his real name. Totally possible. Mm. So that is the end of this episode. In the last episode, I described our table kind of being in the middle of that foresty kind of ponded, watery area. Really, kind of like foggy, low light. I think very similar this time. Um, maybe there's a dog <laughs> running around. Welcome to the swamp. He's Welcome to the swamp. I'm kidding. He, I mean, would they have found them as, as soon as they he's did without him? That dog's a hero. No, he deserves a medal of honor. Fido, you have done so much for us, buddy. I don't know what the dog was. Uh, good point, Fido. Bingo. But that is the end of today's episode. Um, and we'll see you guys in part three. Stay safe and have a good yeah. one. Bye. Yippee. Bye.